This is Byron Sanders, President and CEO of Big Thought. And this is Damani Daniel, Chief Imaginator at The Event Nerd. Welcome to Casually Creative, conversations about everyday creativity and nerdiness. here today with uh, someone who is both a good friend and an inspiration and I'm saying that I said it to her face you did so this ain't the first time she's hearing it Um, but uh, welcome again to casually creative we got my man Damani Daniel over here how we doing folks how we doing all right and this is Byron Sanders Um, and joining us today Mercedes Fulbright is in the building right here, everybody. Mercedes, what's good? What's good? I'm good. Awesome, awesome. So Mercedes is joining us today. Um, there's a lot of things that Mercedes does. Yeah, and like, is. We start with, <laughs> do we start with who pays her bills? I was like, I was like, because there's, <laughs> it's, it's all of the things, and she's done it at such, um, such a, um, early phase of her life. Yeah. Um, it's it's actually part of this concept that we've talked about a lot, which is that, you know, we sh- we really should stop asking kids, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because ideally, you're being something now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So among the things that are a credit to her name right now, she's at uh, Local Progress. She's going to talk a little bit about what that is, but also has been a part for work uh, uh, the Center for Popular Democracy. She's been a powerful agent of change and help be part of the architecture for quite frankly what's now starting to get a lot of uh uh notoriety at paul queen college Mm -hmm, uh national Mm -hmm. international recognition for how they're changing the paradigm another guest for another time it's true we're gonna be talking with dr michael sorrell but um mercedes hey hey um talk to us a little bit about you're just, you know, who you are. What's up, Mercedes? Like, what's what's the Mercedes, uh, you know, headline? Ooh, um, basically, what are my labels? Um, how do people sh- sure, see if you me? want. Yeah. <laughs> or, or how do you wish that people saw you? How do I wish? Ooh. Flip that narrative. Ooh, got what? flipped. Okay, that's, I like that. That's, that's dope. Okay, so um, I would say that I am a black queer feminist mm-hmm. um i am an activist and organizer i um have a deep love and admiration for black people and the work that i do is about centering them um i'm a texan proud texan right. from dallas Dirty Dallas, D, triple, triple D. D. <laughs> that's I'm right a daughter of an oak cliffian a, yeah. a military veteran um uh, a, a granddaughter of a labor union organizer, very mm-hmm. proud of my grandpa. Um, also a daughter of a formerly incarcerated black mama. Mm-hmm. Um, and a granddaughter of a retired nurse. Uh, and a Southern suit through and through. I biological mother is from Tennessee and my dad is from Texas. And so I'm yeah. like really proud to be from the South. So I rep the South as well um, in everything that I do. Talk a little bit about that. You rep the South. Mm-hmm. You know, when people hear that, especially if they ain't from the South, in its spell, S-O-U-F. 
Yes. Okay. That's fair. If they don't understand, they're like, oh, especially as a progressive, Mm -hmm. right? And somebody who lives, um, if we have a spectrum, if we're labeling things, (laughs) like far left, they're like, oh, you're from the South and you're proud? Talk about that. (laughs) What is that? Um, No, so I think from, well, I know for me, much of like being proud to be from the South is the resiliency of black Southerners, right? Um, Understanding the slave trade and the fact that uh, my ancestors were a part of of being enslaved in the South. And um, my understanding of my roots is that my folks uh, migrated to different parts of the South to escape the racial terror happening. And um, through that, I would say the examples of what I'm experiencing today, right? To have access to the things that I have today. And so what makes me very proud to be from the South is the resiliency of my family um, and all that they had to deal with Mm-hmm. Um, not only through slavery, but through the Jim Crow era, through civil rights. And um, that's why I say I'm proud to be the granddaughter of a labor union, because I think that says a lot um, over the last three decades that he's been organizing workplaces for for folks who have traditionally been exploited for their labor. So mm. um, being from the South to me is really about overcoming the obstacles and um, fighting back. Like, and I think it's in my DNA. And um, I, I get that from the folks that came before me. All right. And they're Southerners. So, so I want to ask you a follow-up, though. Yeah. What, as a black, female, queer, like all the things you just outlined, mm-hmm. how is that, what does that look like for you growing up in the South? We know why you love the South, yeah. but what is that, what have those labels, if we're going to, it's to use that, how has that impact, how has that been impacted by you growing up here? Um, <clears throat> so I'll say this, I was, I was, technically born in California, San Diego, but that was by way of my dad being in the military. Um, and so when I moved to Dallas, which is where my, most of my family is from, is the folks that I know. Every summer I used to visit Dallas when I lived in Vallejo and Oakland. And um, I would say even the identities that I have know today and that I like fully um, uh, exist in were not something that I would have said you know, at 10, at mm, 15, sure, sure. at 20. So even experiencing um, growing up in Dallas, I think just as a young black girl uh, shaped a lot of who I am today. And um, for me, it was always being one, the new kid everywhere I went mm-hmm. as a military brat. So like I, I went to multiple school districts um, mm-hmm. in the Dallas area from Arlington and North Dallas to graduating from Cedar Hill. Um, and I don't know, I think, I mean, but I always tell folks this, but I mean, one, growing up in Texas, like you're indoctrinated from third grade, I think until eighth grade to learn Texas history. So that by itself yeah. was like <laughs> yeah. a brainwash of like Texas proud, right? right. Mm-hmm. So there's that piece. I'm yeah. from Brooklyn. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was at a city council that. meeting and they did a, first of all, American pledge. Yeah, we do this. But, but then the Texas, I was like, yeah. Yeah. Texas. Yeah. Tis honor the Texas. Honor it. My honor, country tis of thee, sweet honor. land of liberty. Is that how it goes? Is that <laughs> not it? Right. So that yeah. by itself is like that's already right. a part of my DNA. And so now that I'm politicized, I'm like, wow, that's terrible. Like, we should stop having kids do that. <laughs> like, but I will say early stage in, like, yeah, that was like my my orientation to loving where I was from was that, like, I am proud to be a Texan. And, yeah. Uh, but also just like um, just finding myself growing up in a city and state means a lot to me. And um, I know the things that I've. I've experienced growing up in Texas is so much different from folks who grew up in other parts of this country. Yeah. Um, And um, I can't like recall any overt moment where like 
discrimination would have been a, a thing for me growing up. But mm-hmm. um, when I just look back on my life here, like there are definitely moments that if I were politicized, it would it would have been more would have been made more clear to me um, some of the things that I got to I was able to survive and navigate. But um, yeah, I'm just I'm just proud to just just to grow up in an environment that. Um, you know, really poured into me and invested in me. And it was in this place, so this is home. You know, as you talk about what it means to be Southern proud, right? And to, and to, to like you said, from both sides of your family, you are authentically Southern, Tennessee and Texas. And, and part of the pride comes from being able to thrive through surviving, mm-hmm. right? Or, and um, that kind of connects to, to how you said you got here today. One of the questions that we asked, uh, guests who are coming on, you know, how did you get to where you are in this moment? How did you get to where you are professionally and those things? And you said that um, you got here by um, um, organizing work in 2008 and, and from surviving three decades of bad policy. What does that mean? Like, what are you talking about here, you know, uh, for the uninitiated? Why are you being so woke? Yeah, like, what's, what, is that, what does that even mean? <laughs> Um, So first, uh, my entry point into activism um, and organizing for me was freshman year at University of North Texas. Um, President Barack Obama was running for the first time and um, uh, he he won. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that point, I was involved in the NAACP and Student Government Association. So I was already involved in like talking to students, talking to them about their issues. And then my second semester, 2009, um, Texas uh, had talked about and proposed these voter ID laws, which have actually came through the pipeline before, but as a freshman, it's the first time I ever heard of this. And um, it's when uh, they basically uplifted the voter suppression policies in our state. And um, as a college student, you're your student ID address had to match your driver's license. So obviously, uh, my home address is Cedar Hill. I'm in Denton, Texas. And so um, at the polls, they were turning people away when it came to municipal elections that year. And so that actually woke me up to the fact that there are laws in place that are denying people access um, to um, raising their voices. And so that was like my push and moment of hey, did y'all know that they're doing this at the polls, right? Um, And, you know, I would say, like, electoral organizing isn't that sexy to most folks, but um, at the time where you are experiencing your first black president, I mean, he was inaugurated, what, um, the beginning of 2009? Like, that was huge. That was a huge moment for us. And of... My friends and I uh, registered people to vote. We talked about the issues. We talked about the fact that if someone turns you away, that that's illegal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and your college address doesn't have to match your home address because, like, we're not we're not home. So, like, there there has to be space for our voices to be heard. And so um, that allowed me to get more involved in NAACP, and it was an opportunity where I got to be involved in my first criminal justice fight. Troy Davis was on uh, death row in Georgia, mm-hmm. and the NAACP. Um, organize their youth and college students to be a part of that. And that was the first time that I even understood the death penalty and how it was basically executing innocent black people. Um, So was a part of that. And so in my time at UNT, there was just all these different issues from environmental justice to um, uh, fighting for same sex 
um, um, homecoming rights, things like that on our campus that really politicized me in understanding that the world is not as black and white as it presents itself to be. Mm. And though I'm on this campus that in many ways shelters me from what's happening across the country, um, I'm in solidarity with so many other students and uh, college age folks who may not be in college uh, who are experiencing similar things that we're experiencing in Denton. Um, and then the whole piece around surviving three decades of bad policy, um, I actually came into that a couple of years ago um, and um, understanding my childhood st story and, and who I am as a young woman, um, my uh, biological mother um, was uh, on drugs mm -hmm. and was a sex worker um, when uh, when I was first born and I don't I don't know if that's to be true before or actually it is actually in the court documents that my grandmother showed me um, in 2000 I think it was 17 mm -hmm. um, so like Recently, recent. yeah, very recent. Um, and the only reason why I knew about these court documents because um, I was invited to do a TED talk yeah. at SMU um, in 2017. Yeah. And um, I wanted to talk about imposter syndrome and I was gonna do like this facilitation. And uh, the person that was leading SMU TED talk at the time, um, I think she still may be there, but she's like, that's not a TED talk. Like we're, we, don't, yes. we don't do facilitations. Uh, like, no interaction. <laughs> and You're I messing come, up the Right, the I come in the school of thought of like political education, popular education. So yeah. for me, it's like, I wanna like- No, they're like, stand on your red people. dot. Yeah. Don't move <laughs> say words. Dot. Right, and she's like, it's about like, storytelling. And so yeah. I was like, well, I don't have a story. Like <gasps> my story is boring. I mean, my entry point activism is like voter rights and expanding democracy like who wants to hear about that and so mm. um the writing process for me was actually talking to my grandmother about like my childhood because like many folks in my family just didn't talk about it um, and so she uh pulled out some court documents um it was literally my life from um, one week old until i would say maybe eight um and it painted this really the snapshot right because i don't have a comprehensive like understanding of the things that i experienced but it talked about um who my mother was as a teenager at 17 and her leaving home it talked about um uh, domestic abuse and and drugs and miscarriages and um, her being out of in and out of jail um in many states across this country um and then it talked about me it talked about me being in foster care twice spending my first birthday um in foster care by myself because um my mother was sent to, to jail right um and in those moments of understanding um snapshots of myself and also snapshots of my mother and i say this because i i haven't seen my mother since i was probably five um um, it really helped me to connect much of what I understood in college and then also um, after I graduated and continue to do community organizing that there were policies that were put in place when I was growing up in 89, 90s um, that didn't allow for my mother to have safety nets or uh, protection or um, an opportunity to stay united with her children um, in those years. And a lot of my research came to be that there were policies like the war on drug policies, right? And that there were, uh, the federal government uh, decided that um, in order to clean up the streets, we must send more police and build more prisons um, in order to restore people's lives because that's how we can re rehabilitate people who are experiencing trauma and poverty. Um, when we talk about 
um, uh, the folks that are on drugs, the folks that are, uh, are, are doing sex work or anything to get by. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about people who are living in poverty. We're talking about people who are experiencing uh, life trauma, mental health, um, all sorts of things that in many ways uh, pushes them to, to be a part of those type of activities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as ways to survive capitalism, as ways to survive uh, gender violence, so many different things that people are trying to cope with and yeah. also like get away from. Um, and we had a federal government at the time, three decades ago, I'm about to be 30 next month, um, and this is why I say turn three up. Te- <laughs> so I say three decades because um, yeah, over the last 30 years, uh, there have been policies that said, in order to save this community of people, uh, we must put more police on the streets. Mm. We must build more prisons. Mm-hmm. Uh, we must divest from those communities and take out the affordable housing, uh, take out the, um, uh, the, the street lights, the, the things that I would say will actually create, would create safety in people's homes, but like they're like in order to fund the things that they needed around criminalization, it required them to take from those communities, right? And so we saw that trickle down effect from the federal government, from the state, and down to the local level. And so much of, when you ask me the question like how you got here, that is, that is what it is for me, is that I'm here because I've started to understand how policies dictate people's lives, right? Yeah. Um, they either pigeonhole you or they accelerate you. And uh, historically, uh, policies have pigeonholed and suppressed so many communities of colors across this country and even globally. If we're going to talk about a, a global solidarity mm-hmm. fight, but um, that is what I've experienced, and it's it's I've I won't, yeah I've been lucky lucky enough to have a grandmother and father and family that has uh, sheltered me from understanding that, or in some ways maybe maybe they didn't realize that's what was happening, yeah. but but because of my activism, because of my reading, because of being in community with folks who are helping me to unlearn a lot of uh, the things that we've been socialized to believe is okay in this world mm-hmm. um, has helped me to understand that wow, like you're a true survivor, right? Like you actually could have been um, the uh, a kid that grew up in foster care. Like yeah. that could have been your story, and mm-hmm. it's not. Like I don't ever run around saying that I was a foster kid. Like I I was there for I think the longest I was there in the court documents were like three days. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like I don't even remember that at one years old. So that's not my story. Um, but there were policies in place where there are thousands of kids that are now my age mm-hmm. that that's their story because in opposed to being imaginative, being mm-hmm. creative about how do we actually solve this issue of drugs and crime and, um, and um, whatever, the, the bad things that were happening in the 90s, they decided that we should just put people in cages and let them sit. So I, I have a quick question. Um, like, I was, pl- I was playing this video game with my son last night mm-hmm. that he's, he runs and then when he gets to a certain place, it like catapults him and makes him go a little bit faster, right? And then he's running and then he hits a catapult and he goes a little bit faster. Sonic the Hedgehog also had a similar thing. I feel like your grandmother back in 2017 was that spring, that mm-hmm. like catapult, because like you were good, you, you had been politicized at that point, mm-hmm. right? You, you um, were doing the work that to, to a certain degree you're doing now but it, it, it seems to me mm-hmm. that your grandmother, like I imagine this, Grandma, who am I? Literally. And grandma right. walks over to the closet and is <laughs> like, baby. That's what she did. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a closet. And she's like, I've been, you know, she, and she like pulls out this, this, this cardboard box, this banker's box mm. that she's just been waiting for you to ask these, these, these three words, who mm. am I? And that was like the catapult. Is that, I just, I love that idea because there are these, 
uh, elders in, in, our, in our lives, and you talked about the people that you, know, you were most proud of, your grandfather, and, and, and the people that have saved your life and things like that, and then you talk about your grandmother as being almost like the holder of your mm-hmm, history, mm-hmm. and she knew when to give it to you. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think you were ready for it prior to that? Um, I joke about it in my TED talk that, like, I mean, I was, what, 26, I think, 27? Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, in the Lifetime movies, it's usually, like, 17 turning 18. <laughs> and that wasn't my story, right? I had to wait almost another 10 years. Um, but I remember her telling me that, you know, um, I didn't know when the right time was, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, the in the court papers, it talks about, like, how I saw a therapist, right? Like, just some of the things that I experienced as a, as a toddler, like, I shouldn't have never experienced. There's, yeah. a, there's a piece in um, the court document that says that uh, San Diego police like kicked down the door and I'm sitting on a mattress, um, a soil mattress with drugs all around me and a ton of kids running around. My mother had about seven or eight kids. Um, and that, that was like my one and a half year old spir- experience, right? Mm, so yeah. um, for her, I think it really was probably taking the advice of the state, of, of counselors or like, you know, figure out when's a good time because this is a lot of traumatic things that Mm. Mercedes has experienced. Um, And I think also I just walked around with like this shield of I don't need to know. Like if if no one's talking about my mother, talking about what I experienced, and I guess I just don't need to know. And so there were moments where like even my grandfather um, uh, on, uh, yeah, my grandfather, the labor union organizer would like mention certain little things um and i would just kind of shut it down or in the case of my grandmother just like she would even say do you want to know and i'm like no i'm good so mm-hmm. i think i was a part of like what took so long to to get those court documents um and my grandma's a little fancier than cardboard box she had like the <laughs> like the office max like right yes yes exactly it was heavy it but it was heavy like it was a lot of a lot of like documents like she's like putting the stuff in there <laughs> and she One was day, my baby's going and I, and I appreciate her because i just would have never known yeah. like yeah. at all like um there's a uh, was one piece around um my mother like taking me um uh or not taking me she actually just she kept me longer than she was supposed to in regards to like visits right yeah and so my dad couldn't find me i don't know where she took me but she took me longer and my dad couldn't find me and so the police were looking for me and it was just like this little snapshot of how like the state's attorney got involved and it was this whole thing where like my grandmother and, fa- and father are sitting at the state's attorney's office and my mother shows up with me and is like, okay, here, you can have her. And it was actually the last moment that was recorded in the court document where she was like, just don't tell her I'm alive. Like, this is it. Like, wow. you can have her. And I think I was maybe maybe four or five. I can't remember the age. But yeah. um, like, I would have never known that, right? Like, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know what the departure conversation was. And yeah. like, from this paper, I now know that was the departure conversation of like, I don't want to keep doing this like or I don't want to speak for her but like you got it like I just do what you need to do and you can have full custody and um, I would have never got that and I'm, I'm thankful for my grandmother because she may not even remember to have told yeah. me that but it's it's in a court document right um, let me ask you this question because it <clears throat> on one hand it in a in a in a bit of a um, a bit of a removed sense it sounds like it's fascinating go, to go back and learn about yourself, mm-hmm. right? Almost like you're a detective and you're, you're like learning the story of this person. And you're like, oh, I'm the person. Yeah, no, the weirdest part is that I'm investigating myself to tell other people about myself. That's right. Like it actually oh, wow. wasn't even a moment where I got to have 
time to process what yeah. was happening. It yeah. was like, I got to know this so I can write this, <laughs> write this thing this for talk. thousands of people that's going to be recorded forever. <laughs> yeah, ever. right? So, like, Don't mess up. what's even, what's more interesting about, like, what is that? It's almost three years later or two, uh-huh. um, is that, um, like, I'm right now, I feel like I'm in this phase going into my 30s where I'm, like, mourning the person that I thought I was, mm. right? Because, like, you were mentioning, our grandmother just opened up this portal of a Mercedes that I didn't know, a, a little Mercedes that I didn't know. Um, I had ideas about it, but yeah. now I feel like I'm in this phase. Yeah, since the TED Talk, um, I've taken, like, therapy more seriously because I've just, I've realized how much that's opened up my wounds around, yes, yes. like, childhood trauma, um, right? Like, I'm reading things about me that obviously I've suppressed as a child so like that has now come up in my body mm-hmm. um and so like go- going into my 30s I'm like now just like who is Mercedes and what do I actually want to do in this world yeah. um I I absolutely believe that the DNA of my mother is is in me and um there's studies about how there's trauma in the womb and yeah. to know what my mother has experienced and to know that for nine months I was experiencing that with her mm-hmm. has really like reactivated me recharged me to fight the way that i fight especially for black women and girls um and uh it's yeah it's just it's i'm, I'm really excited about 30 because it's it feels like this transformational year of just like just like really grounding myself and what i know about myself but also wanting to discover more and to learn more about her side of the family it seems like this this curiosity has traveled you at every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a Sagittarius and we're philosophers about life and like wanderers and all the things. There you go. We, we've covered on this um, um, podcast how little I know about astrology. Uh, astrology. Wow, get into it. I, I, don't, I don't either. Get yeah, into just, it. We do, I, I mean, like there's there's actually a lot of there there. I just haven't studied it, though. But I would walk around and be like, yep. Virgo. Oh, you're a Virgo? Yeah, and I don't know what that means, but that let I'm people a, I'm a Libra. What does that mean? What does that mean? Balanced, and you're a process, like, you're all about, like, perfection, and yeah. I am. you're, like, justice, and balance, that's and big. truth teller, yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I am is a that, perfectionist. That's wrong. Is that, I don't know, is that, is that accurate? Let's ask my wife. Is that accurate? I, my birthday is on the foot. I go between Libra and Virgo. Interesting. So date, interesting. Oh, you're a cusp? Hmm. With the cusp, <laughs> what is that? You're like she, in the she, middle. She, she There's a whole terminology. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I know okay, what keep going. We don't have to do this. <laughs> Noob. That sounded like a. You're in the middle. She was like, "Oh, you're a cusp." Her birthday's oh, in the yes. middle. Yes, I'm a cusp. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bicuspid. Ooh. Um, yeah, you got to think about that uh, one. You might have to do with teeth. Ooh. All right, listen. The thing that I am really excited about hearing, though, uh, Mercedes, is just uh, your pattern of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 paired with curiosity, which is, I, I think those are, are a couple of traits when they exist in the same person is, um, you know, basically a special concoction for a superpower, right? Mm. Um, which might explain why you've been able to, to be in the places where you've been and do the things that you've done. And um, I would love to know, it, it, maybe in another conversation, the degree to which you finding out these stories uh, about your own life <clears throat> have given you a new or maybe a different lens toward your mother, right? That, that like you said, you haven't seen since five years old. If you wanna, if you wanna answer that, please, um, because I think that might be illustrative of the the next point that I was gonna bring up. Because I, I also am entering into this space saying that the chronology 
of you being politicized and understanding that there are systemic forces at work, then you found out the, the story about your life. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, if it had happened in a different mm-hmm. order, if you would be, might, if you might even be a different person today. Oh, I mean, I definitely think I would be. Um, I don't know what it would be. Like, yeah, I don't even course, know what that right. would look yeah. like, right? Alternate like, if, right? In which you know, we don't have to do that. Okay. Yeah. But we have like, on this show. Really, I was like, Byron and I talk about it. Um, yeah, <laughs> we've had like really yes. sci-fi moments uh, yes, together. We do. Um, you know, organizing is sci-fi. Mm-hmm. You ever thought about that? Mm. We down. activists and organizers are fighting. And um, and uh, believing in a world that's impossible that doesn't exist mm. in the minds of people seems impossible, but it doesn't exist. And so we're l- literally laying down the foundations um, for a world that we want to see. And right now, people can't see that. Right? People can't see a world without police and prisons because it's all that we know. It's yeah. like safety actually means this, and it's like, well, you know, there was a world where that that wasn't the case. Yeah. Um, and so I love talking about sci-fi because it's so much of it is about being imaginative. Um, and realizing that we have everything that we need um, and it doesn't have to rely on these ways that are rooted in guns and violence and you know this evil stuff that like humans just like feed into and feel like they need that they need which is power it's all about power one of my favorite shows is Star Trek Next Generation and I was talking to someone who was equally as nerdy in sci-fi and I said if you actually go back and watch episodes right and look at all the things that they to your point about creating a foundation for a world that doesn't exist all the things that they just had that didn't exist then that exist now. Um, I talk about, you could talk to the computer and the computer would tell you what you needed to know. That's mm-hmm. right. You had holographic experiences. Mm-hmm. You had Worf, uh, uh, the black character on the show, yeah. who used the standing desk. And I used it as a joke, but like standing desks, desks weren't a thing. thing. They weren't a thing. thing. They weren't a thing then. A thing. And now that, w- that, is, that is one of the coolest analogies that I've heard about uh, political organizing because it's true. If watching that show in the 90s with my father that was cool and now i'm getting to live out the world to a certain degree sans the space travel yeah. and the ferengis but uh, well yet yet, yet true, true right yes, yes, yes. <laughs> to be continued true, true but the other part of that too you know there were guys wearing skirts yeah mm. like if you go back and look gender? at that yeah yeah right in and that was in a time where no one was woke. <laughs> like if we're being very honest <laughs> about did, it. But did it turn people off from watching it? No, it exactly. didn't. Because well, because the thing is, they didn't even like make a point of it. it they just, just put the, they just was. put people there. But but between original series and next generation, the, the male skirts went away. That's right. That's right. Which the yeah. irony being that like uh, the woke the quote wokeness of the sixties and seventies, yeah, and the and the free spiritedness of the sixties and seventies. The fact that the first interracial kiss yep. happened on Star Trek: The Original mm-hmm. Series. That's right. I wonder what that what shifted yeah. to go from. Uh, I don't love this. We're making eighties, nineties. We're making it a, a treatise on Star Trek. I was gonna say I've but, actually never watched Star Trek or Wars, so I'm gonna just put that out there. Okay. But I've heard fair, fair, this analogy fair. so okay. many times right, that cool. I get it. Yeah, and I'm into it. Yeah. Um, so, so you could fake the funk. If yeah, you I could. To. Yeah. I mean, and I just. She was nodding. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, I was like, yeah. You remember <laughs> episode <laughs> 12, season six? No, I've heard people talk about how, like, Star Wars is rooted in, like, justice. And it's actually yeah. about, like, overcoming oppression. And I'm like, I'm yes. into it. And I just, just subscribe to Disney Plus. So I can It'll one day sit one and day. just watch it. <laughs> one day. I remember we talked about it. And I tried to yeah. watch that Han Solo. And I, I was like, I don't get this. You like, started with the wrong one. You told one. me to start there. I you said that's right. You said go in order. You said go in order. You said go in chronological order of how the story <laughs> unfolds. It's, oh, it's, that's the wrong move. No. 
You go in the order that it was released. This is what you told me, and I stopped watching after 30 minutes. I think I fell asleep. No, 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 not Han Solo. Wait, I said start with episode one. I don't know what that means. The name of the episode is actually episode one. It's called episode one. It's called episode one. It wasn't about Han Solo? Now, Han Solo had one. There was a Han Solo. He was like it was in a Solo. desert-like area. Yeah. He like I don't want to explain it. It was you know confusing. What? But back to the question. You know what? Let's <laughs> scratch what I said before, and start with just start with four, and then do the okay. Yeah, I, I believe that you should watch them in the order they were released. Oh, That's so fair. Understanding that they're not going in chronological chronological order okay. because they were they started the series the series in the middle in the middle in media mm-hmm. rest right it, it, and it was going based on greek mythology so they started mm-hmm. season four mm-hmm. i mean season four that's yeah. fair that's, that's fair four. they started season four and so and that was just okay they literally started in media rest you started they continue and then someone was like well we can't keep going so let's go backwards right yeah and so they went backwards <laughs> prelude and started at the very beginning and yep. then introduced one of the most racist characters in the history of Film second only to the crows in. Dumbo. I'm about to say there's a, there's a few they got the few they got a few I mean, in the Jar Jar in the 30s bad. and 20s. Jar Jar, was Jar, Jar Binks was Ooh, a modern era, me. not good. Here's me. the bottom line: is uh, <laughs> sorry, we, we have gone. Sir. We got meta. We got meta nerd right there. Y'all did. Here's the thing: just start sorry, with episode folks. four. I'm on it. Okay. Cool. So to answer your question, because I remember it. <laughs> Um, I know I would be a different person and also something that I've acknowledged um, in understanding uh, my mother and my story is that um, much of my organizing was for other people and I never felt like I had a connection to mm. what I was organizing around, mm-hmm. right? And so f- um, hearing about my childhood story, it, it really has helped me um, to not only have solidarity, but to like feel very rooted in what I'm doing and why I do it, right? Yeah. Because um, it really is about me uh, not only just fighting for like little Mercedes, but little Mercedes that exists all around this country, right? Mm, all yeah. around this world. And so I'm, I'm legitimately fighting for the future of my little sister, of little girls um, in Oak Cliff, mm-hmm. in Southside Chicago. Like I'm just, I'm just thinking of, of folks um, who are having similar experiences and shouldn't, right? Yeah. Like it just like, they act- their life actually shouldn't be impacted the way that it is. Yeah. And it's not by happenstance, it's actually systemic, it's actually intentional. Um, and it's being created in neighborhoods all across this country uh, because there there is a divestment from our leaders, right? From folks that we elect every day. Yeah. So the imagination part is something that's fascinating to me. Mm. Um, that's really cool, the framing of organizers as science fiction. Adrienne yeah, Marie I'm, Brown, look I'm her st- up. St- I'm still, that's, that's Adrienne still Marie sick. Brown. That's good. Adrienne Marie Brown. She came up with that. Um, so so, and have you heard of Octavia Butler? No, I have uh, you know yeah. how I, you know how I have though, when I was listening to all the podcasts you've been on. Oh really? Yeah. I don't think I mentioned Octavia. You did. Wow. Yeah. I went deep. I, did I you did really good. Yeah. I just yeah yeah um yeah uh, she's a well was a black science fiction writer and uh, Adrienne Marie, Marie Brown is like a huge fan of her and she writes a lot of uh, books on activism organizing. She has a, a, the latest one is Pleasure Activism and she I read in Emergent Strategy. Uh, about organizing being science fiction, like folks who are organizers, folks who, not even who are just organizers, but like folks in our communities mm-hmm. that are like constantly like protecting themselves, coming up with ways to survive and also try to thrive. They're like science fiction, so. That's dope. So dope. The it made me feel powerful when I read it. That's good because that, that connects to, to, a, to this notion that um, um, I just came back from a conference, uh, the, um, 
National Guild Community Arts Educators. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, keynote speaker was Fabiana Rodriguez. And she had a powerful assertion, which connects to this theme, that um, artists and cultural uh, architects, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people who shape and shift culture, influence culture, um, have been part of activist movements, but need to be more explicitly embraced by the uh, activist and organizing uh, world mm-hmm. because of how useful it is for them to really be central in the strategy and then execution. So oftentimes there's a song that gets created or, or a piece of artwork that gets done and then people see it and then they bring it in yeah. as opposed to saying, hey, let's get them at the strategic table right. and then create so that it, it's not necessarily just waiting for a kind of like a moment of serendipity for something, but we can be targeting strategic with, with doing this. And the reason why she said that is because oftentimes um, these movements and activist uh, sparks come as a response from an event, mm-hmm. like a, a horrible, a, a, catalyzing a moment. catalytic yeah. moment, right? Someone is killed, lynched, um, there's a big election or that happens and it didn't go the way that it needed to and then there's a response. And, so she was saying that it is possible mm-hmm. to create that as opposed to wait for something to happen, but mm-hmm. it takes imagination and creativity to do it. The place where artist creativity infuses in this space is to, we get to own as, as creatives or culture shapers, the world where we're casting that vision. Mm-hmm. Because, but for, being, you can't look backward in order to find what you're talking about, the kind of world where we're wanting mm-hmm. to go. You only have to look forward, and if there is no forward out there, somebody's gotta paint that picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somebody's gotta create that image. What does that look like to you? How do we get to a place where imagination is more easily accessible? And I know it sounds weird because oftentimes when we talk about imagination, we talk about kids, we're talking about reading Rainbow, we're talking about, you know, and it feels butterflies and mm-hmm, daffodilly. Mm-hmm. But as a tactical tool, mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you employ and deploy imagination as yeah. an agent of change? Well, first, to your point around like looking to the future, I think it's both and because so much of what we're experiencing today has happened, right? There you go. Um, and that's why I root myself and surround myself with elders, um, not only in Dallas, but around this country because like Ms. Ragsdale will tell me like we <laughs> the things that I talk about around reimagine public safety she was saying that in the 90s mm-hmm. right and so it's important that we do look back in history um, because we can actually learn some things right we can we can actually have some better strategies um, and try not to make similar mistakes or missteps or um, just try to uh, fail up in a way that allows us to not be set back or pa- paralyzed mm-hmm. um, but in the piece around artists and cultural organizers um, I do think they're central to our work um, and the conversations that I have a lot, uh, a lot of conversations I have with organized or artists and uh, cultural organizers is that we need them to be a part of movement building. Yeah. If we're going to shift systems and um, d- destroy uh, much of the, the, the evil that exists in this country, uh, it's going to require mass amount of people to move with us. And uh, creating a song, putting on a poster, those things are so effective. But if you're not in the business of actually like cultivating leadership, 
helping people to unlearn um, these problematic systems, things like that, then like we are going to always be reactionary. Mm -hmm. And that's like a challenge not only to organizers, but it's a challenge to artists and cultural organizers. And we have to be at the table together thinking about how do we sustain um, and keep people in our movements um, and also like train them to be the leaders that we want, well not want them to be, but that they see themselves to be. Um, And that is like, it's like kind of my nudge to my uh, artist friends is that like we actually need you to be a part of the table to help us create this mass movement that we need, not mm. only in the city, not only in the state, but across this country. Um, and movement building is hard. And yeah. that's why it's so easy for folks to, to do their thing and walk away um, because it, it actually requires sustainability. Um, the imagination piece is, is kind of to the movement building part is like if we can actually get folks to buy into what we're doing around uh, Black Lives Matter, around this fight, around immigration, climate justice, like that by, by itself should unite humans, right? Like yeah. that, that should just blur a lot of racial and gender lines because like none of this stuff will matter when the world implodes, right? Yeah. <laughs> like actually none it's of- It's like Independence health, Day. Yeah, healthcare, healthcare, all of that, like it won't actually matter. Um, and so, um, for, for when I think about the imaginative part and, and getting folks to implore that is it really is about like can we can we get people into a container can we help like teach them the readings the lessons the history of our people the folks that came before us mm-hmm. across race gender lines um, orientation um, and actually get them to want to take the take to the streets and want to take city hall and, and um, be online, right? Because we, we need digital strategists as well. We need digital organizers. Mm-hmm. Um, but us doing that um, in a way that gets folks to unlearn so much of what we've been socialized to believe, right? That That's for me, when I think about why kids are so creative, um, it's because they haven't been trained and socialized to believe all these terrible um notions about how you're supposed to exist in this world Mm -hmm. right um when i think about just something as simple as as gender well it's not that simple to most people it's simple to me um and that like we socialize kids to believe that a certain color associates with who they are as a person and we know that's not true like Mm -hmm. the the toys that they that they play with a, a, a barbie versus um a race car like says something to a child and then like we're imposing those things on them in ways that limit like their ability to see the world and how they actually want to show up and exist in it. And as adults, like we, I mean, I'm 29 years in, like I've been taught a lot of things about religion from how I can show up, how I can exist, how I can present myself as a woman. And um, they've been things that have been really limiting in my ability to creatively express myself, right? Um, From thought to the way I dress to um, how I do my hair, right? Yeah. Um, or what jobs you or want. Or what jobs or, I want, right? Yeah. Like, I didn't even know community organizing was a thing I could get paid for when I first graduated, <laughs> right? Because that's not something, like, my, our folks want us to be, like, engaged in, right? Yeah. Like, it was easier to say that I had a corporate job when I first graduated than to say I want to go into nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's about socialization, right? There's a there's a hierarchy about what's important and what actually has more power in this, yeah. in this world. And so... Um, I'm in the business of like wanting to help my folks to unlearn so much of the the terrible notions about how this world is supposed to operate. Um, And right now it's that people who have more access to money, to class, to whatever, get all the power. And anyone who doesn't have that has to just live with the life that they have. And we know that's not true. We actually know that's not true. And that's, that's the part of the work that I get to do. Um, 
and yeah and the things that come out of that are really big bold radical policies and visions about what this world could look like i heard a rumor and it's not a rumor it's true uh but i heard a rumor that you're also uh a dj yeah well i'm an aspiring dj i'm gonna call it (laughs) you're a dj I don't know when you get to. I don't know who makes the decision about when you move from aspiring to actual. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I feel like I I'm afraid to say I'm a DJ because like there are really good DJs in this city. Okay, a lot of them are my friends. So here's my question: <laughs> Are there quote better political organizers than you? Ooh. Yeah, there are. Do you are. still call yourself a political organizer? <laughs> I do. Okay. Oh, you <laughs> see what he him. did there? Okay, well I'm a DJ. So right? like tell me about so. that. How does that? How has that? Why? Why? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I asked this because I used to be a DJ. Oh, and cool. I did it because I needed to just straight up make money. Okay. And so that was why I did it. I didn't really have a love for it. They just paid well, okay. uh, <laughs> for being honest. But why, especially coming out of a place that um, people don't necessarily historically, uh, outside of you kind of breaking that mold with imagination, mm-hmm. don't necessarily historically think of it as creative. Out- mm-hmm. Why was that your creative outlet? And follow-up question, how has that as a creative outlet influenced you in the other aspects of your life yeah um so i did it out of a deep need to like reground myself so um i've been saying that i wanted to dj for a couple of years now i have like i love music um i i'm not gonna even name never mind i'm not gonna do that because it's 2019 and he's been canceled um but i love music <laughs> don't oh, ask man. me like, i know he's now been canceled. we need to know no, y'all know who i'm talking clues? about you know who i'm talking about i love i love music i love production Atlanta? no okay. i love production i don't know who you could be talking about <laughs> a guy who just recently was canceled Oh, no. I'm talking about like a great in music, like a genius in music who's like really walling right now with the MAGA people. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. um, So I I love music. Um, I love the 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 production of music. And again, going back to like being limited in your options. Right. And socialization, (laughs) like I didn't know I could go into music engineering or production and all these things. And yeah. so for me, this is like my second chance of this is what I tell my this is what I tell myself. And also what I, when I ask other folks who who organize is like if if capitalism, if racism, if white supremacy, if all these things didn't exist, what would you be doing with your life? And like that's what DJing is for me. Like okay. if like if the world was harmonious and folks were getting along and we actually had the money and resources to do the things that we want to do, like mm-hmm. this would be it. And it wouldn't be just a DJ, but like I'd be a producer. Like I would be making music scores for, for films mm-hmm. and like really leaning into that. Um, and it's not to say that I can't do that. It's just that like the world is really terrible and like depression is real. And so in the moments that like I want to get into that, it's like I get reminded with a news article or a, a police shooting or something that just like takes me back out of that space. Mm-hmm. And so now I've, I've used this vehicle over the last year as a way to just like turn myself off and just like really lean into what brings you joy. And like for me, this is like my joy is one, teaching myself how to DJ, um, listening to music. It's like I said, it's like it brings me a lot of joy. Um, and then like my neck next iteration of this is like I want to learn how to make beats right Mm -hmm. Um, and really understand like instruments and sounds and um, like just like what can we what can you do with your mind and like the things that you think about Um, and so yeah that's what DJing is for me it really is just like an outlet like when I'm really just down and out and think that we actually can't win which I know we can but the moments that I feel like we can't like I'll go to my controller 
and like just practice and kind of just deep go deep into it um in a way that yeah like i can feel my body being more relaxed and like not sad about the destruction of our earth i feel you uh one of my favorite podcasts out right now is uh called uh, Twenty Thousand hertz you ever heard of it Mm-mm. So 20,000 Hertz, it's um, put on by these guys at DeFacto Sound Studios. They're a sound design studio based in I don't know where. But they put out this podcast, and the whole premise of the podcast is uh, studies on the sounds that make up our world. Mm. And that has, reflect, that has reflected in um, there's been an episode on the 808, mm. and it's fall and rise. Rise. Because it, it was not a cool No, it was have, for right? a while. They're they, like, oh, were you got records? Shops, right? Uh, the, so the, the, uh, they talked about, there was one episode that talked about Stradivari's uh, violin. There's an episode that talked about sound design. There's an episode oh, that I'm talked about, this. like it was, it, it is one of the most fascinating things because it is literally. Does it, it talk about frequencies there and are vibrations? Talk about frequencies. Do you know anything about that, Byron? Uh, I have heard about frequencies and vibrations, and I thought it was a bunch of hoo-ha until... I've recently done a little bit more reading about our connection and energy. So I'm, yeah. I'm just getting into these. It's spaces. very spiritual. Yeah. Like if folks who believe in God and like all of that, it's, it's, it's for me, that's like music. Like mm-hmm. when you talked about the 808, I love trap music. Mm-hmm. That is trap music and house. Like I want to be a trap house DJ. Like okay. that's how I see okay. myself. I was like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> trap house. You know, it could be, it could be, that could go so many ways, right? Like mean? it's a it's trap. Super, but they, like it's the the base, yes. and for me that's Not so yet. ancestral. Like, you, like you our don't folks want to DJ in a trap house during <laughs> no, trapping. But that's, that's different. But that's the that's shit, right? Is that yeah, I'm a trap house DJ? I see what you did. Right? No, I see what you did. Right? It's actually a really like, that's cool the concept, thing, right? Yeah. But like our folks were. We like the drums meant something, right? It yeah. actually it was like a call to action, yeah. and so when I like listen to trap, it was literally it was a literal language. Yes, you play the drums across miles. Yes, what's that drummer? Oh, okay. So and it's now time to go do this thing, mm-hmm. whatever that drum yes. sound is. Well, we gotta go do that right, thing. Right. Yeah. yeah, and so yeah. that for me, that's music. That's what DJing is for me. That's what this next iteration of like beat production. Because I'm like, I'm connecting with my ancestors somehow. Like I don't know what part of Africa I'm from, but like this is my way of connecting. Yeah. Um, and the 808 is actually a huge thing for me. Like I, I, I love trap because it's just boom, 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 boom. boom. So you need to <laughs> find the episode. Yeah, the I gotta listen to this podcast. They, they talk to DJ Jesse. I mean, they. they it is a phenomenal podcast. Sounds really and honestly, dope. that's the thing. Anybody who tries to take kind of the percussion and the beat out of things, like we literally have heartbeats. That's a real thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like we have a pulse, Ooh. which is, a, which in, it, it right intimates just, life. You know what I'm talking about? What? And the, go off. the, the, right. the serious part about that is that, that that also is a universality among human beings so anytime we strip that out of um music it there's there's something lifeless. that is missing it's lifeless that's what i'm talking about like there's a rhythm to mm-hmm. life even when you think about it um you know you using the european example right the viking drums right mm. that's h- how you would communicate and be in sync in order to move your ship forward like yeah. you just taught me something new about europeans See? i didn't even know they were using drums yeah no they, they were they were they were hitting it right and that's it's that's a drums they would hit the drums. <laughs> Dope. I'm with you, Byron. You feel me? The drums you feel me. mean something. That's right. And I'm with it. I love that heartbeat analogy. That yeah. is really dope. It's it's real. It's real. And so I'm just now getting into this world. Um, honestly, 
where energy is a thing and mm-hmm. I don't feel like you know you, you're raised to be like ah there's a bunch of hippie stuff yes. bunch malarkey of, oh, hoodoo. Bunch of, uh, hoodoo hoodoo, 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 hoodoo which is like a real thing and it's okay playing with them demons yeah. right that, that, that's how you're raised in kind of the yeah. southern tradition which sometimes. limits your imagination which limits creativity imagination. Yeah. Yeah. Kanye also, talks about it a lot yeah but we'll leave it at that but but here's the thing that I will say about all of that, right? We are, um, as a person who, who has grown up and absolutely um, espouses a Christian faith, one of the things that I think is oftentimes too, um, it, it's, it's posed as um, against opposite, not part of, Christianity or the the belief system but if you the way that I think about it if we don't connect with the physical and Mm -hmm. understand how the physical and metaphysical affects our being Mm -hmm. you're literally ignoring a part of God's creation Mm -hmm. in my mind right and so how can you say oh God is a mighty and an awesome God the word awesome Mm. how can you be in awe Mm. if you don't have any context for the depth of nuance and um the well, specificity with which things have been designed. And how can you be in awe of something that you completely understand? So why cannot there not be mm. the assumption? Exactly. That, because I'll, I'll be honest, I grew up in a similar environment, right? Yeah. I grew up in an environment where it was hoodoo, voodoo, voodoo, you know, all Get the all, the, all the hoodoos, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you, while at the same time, we prayed in tongues, right? But uh, but you can't watch so, Pokemon because them the devil. Harry Potter. Right. Harry Potter. Right. Oh, so, so there is definitely something to be said yeah. for if if there is a belief, if mm-hmm. you have a belief that there is a, a, an ultimate being, I to you know, I espouse Christian belief, and so there there has to be a sense that there are things that I can't understand. The things that I can't understand manifest themselves as vibrations mm-hmm. or manifest themselves as uh, certain rhythms that syncopate and create uh, create an energy in mm-hmm. the room, which you mm-hmm. can just speak to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I produce concerts where there's a very different energy in the room from. Uh, Another we'll, one. We'll just, we'll just leave it. Like yeah. <laughs> there are different yeah. energies. Praise and, and worship. Right. That's energy. That's Real energy. talk. And so if we, we can't say that the energy is solely relegated to something that we can understand if we expect there to be awe mm-hmm. that we are mm-hmm. supposed to hold on to. Um, I, I, I actually have a question. Um, yeah, we're good. Do, do, you, do you get tired? Like, <laughs> right. Like, uh, <laughs> and and I, don't mean, I don't mean like you want to go to sleep, no. but I just mean like, bruh. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I get tired because um, what I find so simple and it really, y'all, for me, it really is being in community with folks who like, I mean, they taught themselves, they've been taught by other people. Like when I actually like read the text of the things that I believe and fight for, like it's so simple mm-hmm. and it's like not things that are that hard. Like when we talk about reimagining public safety, it really is about just giving the safety part back to people. Right. Mm. And like people make it such a hard concept that's when I get tired right mm-hmm. it's like you actually just like oppression you actually like having power that's all it is just say that mm-hmm. and then we can be on the same playing field and we'll just attack each other the way we need to because we're both being honest about right, what right. we want um and that's the part that I get tired because it's like so much of what we're fighting is about actually just like equity just getting like allowing folks to just have the things that they need and in many ways deserve like as black people like we deserve so much right now like and um for folks to erase that or dismiss it as if it's just something that we're complaining about and like we just we're just lazy people who just like to complain about all the things that happen it's just like actually i just want to be able to leave this place 
and not be afraid that I'm going to get shot down or be harassed or told that I can't do something because of how you see me, yeah. right? Um, and that is tiring because, like, it's, it's just like, God damn it. Like, mm-hmm. like it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be this hard. And so as an organizer, I absolutely commit myself to the fact that, like, the world that we want to create and see could be simple. Like, it, it's hard to imagine because we haven't experienced it, mm-hmm. um, but it, like, like I just, I, it, it is, it's more frustrating than it is tiring. I think the tiring part is just that you are um, taking on a lot of people's trauma, mm-hmm. um, and this work is trauma-filled, and so that's the part where, like, I'm, I'm weary, like, physically. Mm-hmm. My body is worn out um, because, like, you're just, you're just taking on so many people's experiences and trying to center that and being sure that the folks that who who actually have the levers to change the material lives of people they like actually hear these people's experience or even mine um that's the part right i get emotionally and physically tired because it's like we're literally it feels like we're begging for be- breadcrumbs like basic human dignity at this point like the things that these presidents are running on are like actually really basic things but the framing right now is that it's radical mm-hmm. it's far left um and that's the part that gets tiring because then you're you're identified or positioned as like the the crazy one that wants all these things and it's like actually i just want a house that i can live in that i can afford i pretty much want the same thing as what just you what you have yeah. but not in a way that's like i want to be like you it's just that i know that you got it in a way that i i could not at mm-hmm. this point in my life right like yeah. wages not increasing mm-hmm. shouldn't like that's ridiculous. Like everything around us has increased, but this idea that we're fighting for livable wages is ridiculous or radical or far too left. It's like, y'all, the price of milk has risen. So why can't <laughs> my actual paycheck go along with, with the, the things that, yeah, like and it's so simple in my yeah. mind. And yeah. when we talk about it at City Hall, in the streets, at Capitol Hill, it's just like, y'all, like it's simple stuff. And it's easier for the powerful to just reframe and, and write this narrative that we're all radicals and far lefts that are asking for all these things that are socialist and da, da, da. it's just like no it's actually just basic human dignity yeah. and if the yeah. roles were reversed wow what a life what a world this would look like if the roles were reversed yeah. it seems as though there's a there's a there's a guy whose name is eric lou he um part of oh, uh, civic saturdays mm-hmm. and it's all about um he says you know we can move to this better world if if people just understand that you're actually fighting for your own self-interest properly understood mm. because a world where um, there is this hierarchy of resources and, and also human value mm-hmm. uh, is a world that actually robs you of your humanity mm-hmm. um, and you don't get to see the fullness therein. That's a world that you're presently living in in that imagination to project one that is otherwise is quite the exercise for yeah. a lot of people to to the point that you brought up earlier. Yeah. So um, we're here at a very important moment for uh, casually creative. Significant. It's 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 timeless. In fact, actually, it's heavily timed, and it that's the is. point of it. It's that's called quickly creative. <laughs> um, so get ready for this. Yeah, you, it's time. It's, no, actually, no. There, it it's, is time. It's, it's time. That's it's that's time. The, it's very definition. Work quickly. Right. So what's going to happen here in this segment is I'm going to hit you with some questions, and you got to do rapid fire the first response that comes to your brain. One word. Uh, no, not one word, but, but definitely not, a, not ten. Yeah, not a paragraph. Got it. Got More it, got like it, got three it. max cool. kind of words. All right, cool, cool, cool. So we're going to run through this. Get ready. 
We about to go. Favorite movie of all time? A goofy movie. Last song you listened to? Idea, the oh my's. Early bird or night owl? Night owl. Favorite holiday? Labor Day? <laughs> That's perfect. Labor Day. So consistent. You said, and you like Labor Day? No. Labor, Labor Day. Day. Double Say it with your chest. Down. Yeah. Double down. <laughs> Most amazing place you've traveled? Oh, South Africa, Johannesburg. If you didn't do what you're doing today, what would you do? Being a DJ, making beats, being the female Timberland. Pow. Netflix or Disney Plus? Oh. You made the mention earlier, too. Disney Plus is really on it right now. Yeah. Last book you read. <laughs> You're, like, coming for me now. I am. Um, <laughs> do I read? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, uh, or, God. Or, Ooh, or no, Parables of the Sower, Octavia Butler. Boom. Okay. And here we go. End it. Favorite color? Oh, olive green. Oh, I thought you were about to say black. Cool. <laughs> oh. <laughs> See, that's too typical because yeah, I, I love black people yeah. and black people aren't a that's color, so going. we ain't got to do this. I swear I was Ay. going. Oh, <laughs> hey. And you're literally wearing all black right yes. now. That's the other part. Black everything. Love it. Except for okay. my Converse. Yes. Oh, you got the Chucks. Yeah. You got the Chucks. Cool. <laughs> Sneakerhead. We have to We have to highlight the sneakers. Yeah. Mercedes. Thank y'all. Seriously, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm glad we didn't talk about like my work work because yeah. that gets boring. I know. I mean, my all my work intersects, but like yeah, that's why the question it's not the totality. With, of right? Me. How do you want people to see you? Because you are more than just the organizer. But the organizer is who you are. That's right. You aren't just any of the things. Yeah. And that's the thing. What we really wanted to highlight, and what we want to highlight in this space is the work that's going on mm -hmm. and the person that you are mm -hmm. we want to talk about how creativity has shaped that yeah, right? yeah. your worldview so that the things when people read about you in other places and other stuff with all the things they're like oh i get it yeah and i love that y'all consider me a creative because i thought it would have to me being a dj would make me an official creative yeah, but know. that makes sense I, i'm gonna like take that in now yeah. creativity is manifest in more ways than people give it credit for. Mm. You as a DJ, something that I refer to as a consumable creative, mm. because you create something that I can consume and therefore I imbue you with creativity. You mm -hmm. are creative, right? Mm -hmm. But you are no more creative as a DJ who makes beats than you are as a policymaker who makes changes. That's right? dope. So That's right. And your grandmother, who Shout created mm. the means for archiving mm. your history, right? Uh, and knew the moment in time and the way in which to introduce that to you when the time was right. That's beautiful. Shout out to Grams. Shout out to Grams. Right. Thank you so much, Mercedes. Thank you right. Seriously, thank you guys. All right. This is Byron Sanders. This is Damani Daniel. And this has been Casually Creative. Stay Holla. dope. Stay dope. Casually Creative was produced by Heather Daniel of SweetRebel.com. Its intro and outro music were composed by Ezekiel Daniel and produced by Marcus Reddick and Dean Talbert. Feel free to check us out online at www.casuallycreative.co. Everyone living is a type of creative. Everyone's got a limit they can create. Some people code them for some people is faking. If you can see it in your mind, you can make it.